This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hey there, welcome back to Connecting Disability on AMI Audio. I'm your host, Megan Gilmore, and I'm really excited to spend this time with you today. It is unfortunately near the end of July. Which means that summer is, well, going to be ending sooner than many of us would like. So today, we are going to talk about connecting disability to our experiences of outdoors and the natural environment. Our guide for this conversation is Leona Mattis. Leona is an avid birder from Elliott Lake, Ontario, and she's dedicated to making sure that people with disabilities have the right tools and knowledge to explore the outdoor world around them. She joined me to talk about how birding helped her through grief, how it's introduced her to new loves, and what we can learn about living with a disability through our relationship with birds. And our technical producer, Nizreen Abdel-Majid, makes a little appearance later on in this show. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Leona Mattis. Hi, Leona. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Hi, Megan. Nice to be here. Now, I'm curious, we're talking as we're recording, it's just after 11 a.m. Have you been birding this morning? Just a little bit in my backyard because it's pouring rain here today. So not a whole lot, oh. but there there are birds oh, in the that backyard. Is stupid, unfortunate. Okay, so okay, how was your time this morning? Well, it was it was pretty good. We have a bunch of regulars in the backyard, lots of, of nesting birds uh, and stuff. I have a pair of, of gray cat birds in the backyard they do sound exactly like cats okay um and they are quite the jokers and i have a yellow warbler back there a bunch of robins starlings uh some white crowned sparrows and crows american crows like crazy so yeah that's that's pretty much my my backyard we have we have birds fly in um and did you have any visitors today or was it just the regulars Oh, we always, well, we always get visitors. I mean, like, so we'll have, there's a, a group of uh, tree swallows that sort of do dip, loop, squiggle coming coming by because they, they catch insects. And I have a garden and it has insects and lots of them, aphids especially. So they are have been coming by in order to, you know, have breakfast. So yeah, we had tree swallows today. It sounds like even listening to you describe what a like an abbreviated birding experience is for you because of the rain, you're pretty adept at birding. You've been doing this a while. You definitely said names of birds there that I didn't even know they existed, to be honest. So what got you interested in birding? How did this whole journey start for you? I've always liked birds from when I was little, but my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and we decided to keep him at home and look after him. And what ends up happening over the course of time in, in, in a caretaker situation is your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, it's not an intentional thing, but it just does because the person needs more and more care. So it was my mom and myself and I worked during the day, so I would come home at night and I would look after dad at night. In 2014, when dad was in end-stage Alzheimer's, I also had met somebody online who decided that he was going to come here uh, to meet me. And he was a, a hunter, birder, that sort of thing from New Zealand. And 
during that time, he took me out in, while we were getting to know each other. And we went birding together. And he gave me all of that back. And it became a real passion for me. And a, a very big relief to what was going on in my life at the time. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful story. How, because uh, if I understand it correctly, your father passed away eventually um, of Alzheimer's. Yes. Um, so how has your relationship with birding changed now that you're no longer going birding as a reprieve for caregiving? Well, I have severe arthritis and it hurts. And one of the things that birding does is I get so engrossed in it that it's kind of like a, a pain reliever all in and of itself. And that is a terrific thing for me. And also, the more that you learn about birds, the more you want to learn. They're incredible. If you've ever watched a chickadee, chickadees are my favorite bird, all right, and stuff, you will see this tiny little bird that has this great big sort of sense of itself. It's like, I am big and you don't know I'm big, but I, I really am and here I am and don't you mess with me. It's very cool. Birding is a very cool thing to, to get into because there's so much to learn there. And, um, well, first of all, actually, like, so what happened to the man from New Zealand? Well... Uh, he was he was here for the first time for, for six months because that's as long as the visa goes. And then he went home and he came back again at the end of 2015. And he was here until 2020 when the pandemic and the Canadian government said, we're sorry, but you have to go home. And so now he's back in New Zealand and we keep in touch online um, and stuff because, well, he's my partner and that's... All there's that, and he birds there, and I get to see the birds in New Zealand, and I, you know, keep him abreast of what's going on here, and that's the the relationship now. So you you are literal lovebirds. Yes, exactly. That was really good, Megan. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, you you mentioned how birding uh, works as as a bit of a painkiller, and it's obviously brought a quite a lot of joy into your life too in terms of in terms of relationships what sort of things do you need to do to make birding work for your arthritis the way that i bird most times is by vehicle i live in northern ontario and that is rock and bush and water like swampy water or water water and so there are a few accessible birding locations where you can go where they have the the walkways and the ramps and uh, things like that but when you're just going touring around because you're looking for birds um, I drive just about everywhere I go it gives me a chance to get to places and find ways in and around pulling off to the side of the road stuff like that so that I can see all of the different kinds of birds that I like to do and it gives me some it's also like a hide and it gives me some autonomy too you know like I can I can decide where I'm going which is I like that how long is a typical birding excursion yeah I I try to go every day um so normally I would go, try to go out every day and typically it's about four hours each time starting at about six o'clock in the morning because you want to be there for dawn chorus and which is when everybody's waking up and it starts out with little twitters here there and everywhere and then it, it builds through to a, a, 
a chorus of birds that are all just saying good morning to everything. And I have been out as long as six to eight hours in a day with coffee. And pretty much if the birds are good, as long as my camera still has battery, I'll be out there. And do you keep all the photos that you take? (laughs) Yes, I do. Okay. That's a lot of photos. It is. I, I'm one of the, I'm, I'm camera happy too, because I'm one of those people, they'll, they'll tell you in every article you read, do not multiple click on, on, you know, like wait for the interesting poses. And I think everything is interesting. So like I will do a video where you're going to string together a bunch of photos so that it's like stop action, but it, it's, it's there. And yes, I do. I do keep everything, even the blurry ones, because you can play a game with people of what is this bird? Okay. So if it's blurry or you caught the tail or maybe <laughs> there's, there's like a, a, a head sticking up, you know, that kind of thing. And so you can play those kind of games and, you know, they get come in handy. They really do. Now, uh, besides playing games with, with people with, with the photos, I know you've been involved in some more formal ways to make birding and in general outdoor experiences more accessible for people with disabilities. So tell us a little bit about that. What's your involvement in the birding and nature accessibility world? Okay. Well, I have my page in my group for accessible birding on Facebook. I'm on Instagram as well. And I try, what that is all about is trying to show that it's fun, okay, that being disabled shouldn't stop you from going and, and being outside or birding. Birding is not the be all end all of being outside, but for me, it's it's a great thing. And I think that giving it a try is is a, a, a good thing for anybody just as a starting point for being outdoors. I've also uh, recently, about a year's worth now, joined the Ontario Field Ornithologists and I created and lead their Enabled by OFO Disability Working Group to create accessible trips and webinars and things like that, all sorts of different events specifically geared towards disabled people becoming more involved in birding and the outdoors. What do you think are some of the biggest barriers that people with disabilities face in engaging with the outdoors? I think the biggest thing right now is that we as disabled people have to believe that we belong outside that we can swim and we can walk and we can hike or we can sit and just listen to what's going on, that it's all out there and it's available for us. It doesn't, it's not an able-bodied thing. It's an anybody thing. I just want to pack that a little bit more. Do you think it's like we as individuals with disabilities don't believe that we can be outside or is it uh, like service providers or the gatekeepers, if you will, or the people who introduce people to outdoor activity that they don't believe disabled people should be involved? Like, is it an attitudinal barrier or a structural barrier? Um, what do you think the different reasons are for this? Okay. Well, I hear all the time, I don't want to be stared at. Okay. Um, just like anybody else, nobody okay. likes to screw up in public. So like if you do something dorky right out there like everybody does uh so that's a bit intimidating and that's fine and that is something that as somebody who's starting something new you you kind of have to work yourself up to it yes of course there are times when you go out someplace and, and you get 
comments like, well, no, um, this, you're not able to do this. They'll tell you right up front that this, this is something you're not able, our, our, our trails are not accessible. And you get this thing of like, oh, I don't belong here. Okay, where am I going to go? You try to get information by going onto websites, looking at, looking for telephone numbers, going to the city even and saying, where are your accessible trails? Where are some parks that I can go to where they have different amenities available, accessible bathrooms, all this kind of thing. And you don't, you can't get that kind of information. It's, it's very, very difficult, especially up here. And so those kinds of things stop you in your, you just go, it's not worth it to me to, to try and do this because I got to work too hard just to get there. For you, like in your work, as you've done more research, uh, reaching out to others and preparing uh, like materials and guides that can um, help people with disabilities get more involved with nature. How do you define accessibility in the outdoor nature space? So not necessarily how a website is going to define it when they say this route or this path is accessible, but what do you think is needed? for accessible nature experiences? I think a space has to be comfortable. You have to know when you go there that it has accessible bathrooms. That's first. And it, that's, that is so big, nobody understands how immense that is. That being able to go to the bathroom while you're out is like, well, you, you, just, you just can't put too big of a price on that. You need to know that there's going to be, if it's that kind of a place, helpful staff there in, in order to get you around, If especially if you're new. You need ha- to have accessible parking. Park- so that perhaps not depending on size, an accessible parking space, but parking that's not like 10 miles from where you want to get to. And that the signage is good so that you you know where you're going and when. And, and like, so if you have, say, a learning disability, so you, you are not a good reader, uh, for example, is there, are there pictures? Is there a way for you to get there? Can you have, uh, you know, is there a, a guided tour on audio that you can go through? Those are the sorts of things that, that we're looking at now. And also with one of the things that I'm working on is an app for a map that disabled people, anybody actually, but disabled people can use to look up the place that they want to go to go birding, to go for a hike, to go any any of those sorts of things, and be able to see on this map what the surface is like, what the elevations are, if there are ramps available, what types of bathrooms they have there, what sort of birds you can expect to see there, where there are benches to sit and rest, what kind of other amenities that the, the park has or the, the reserve, that sort of thing. So those, those things, all of the things that the AODA Plus would want you to have in a space that's accessible. And that's the kind of thing that I think that people should have. Let's talk about the actual natural environment. Because I'm just even thinking like if you're hiking, you know, just by the nature of being out in nature, there's going to be dips and valleys and sharp edges and tree branches um, and tree roots and all these things that are just part of the natural world that aren't maybe necessarily what we consider accessible. Uh, how, how do you balance the need for accessibility with just the reality of what nature is and maintaining that integrity of the environment? 
Okay. And that's, that's good because not every space can be accessible. It takes too much to make it so that everybody can, can get to it and it would ruin what is actually there. And when you weigh up the cost of what that would do to the space itself, to the wildlife, to the different plant species that are there, just in order to have it so that we can walk there, that part doesn't make sense. There have to be wild spaces and that means like fully wild, don't touch them, leave them alone. I think that we need to look at the spaces that we already utilize. Able-bodied people have spaces where they go. There's all kinds of parks. There's all kinds of water trips and stuff like that that can be taken. I think we need to look at taking those the next step so that it is accessible for everybody. That's where we have to concentrate first and then move on from there. I'm just curious, like listening to you talk about all your experiences and the work that you do to get more people with disabilities involved in nature and birding. What has birding taught you about living with a disability? Birds are extremely adaptable. They are dealing with climate change. They're dealing with us shrinking their habitat and they can be maimed or killed by banging into glass on our buildings and still they go on and they sing and they eat and they breed and they migrate and they keep going. And I think that that has taught me that that's a way of being. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of of feeling about how I'm going to get through this whole thing and just enjoy life in general. That it's important. Hmm. Hmm. Have has have there been times where maybe you were perhaps uh, struggling more with some of like the barriers of of life with a disability, particularly in northern a northern part of Canada, isn't always necessarily very disability friendly, and and birding really helped you gain perspective or consider how you were going to face a certain challenge. Yes, I in the winter time I go out and I I have a chat with the Canada Jays. So, okay, snow is not my best friend. Um, and this, you know, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's going to sound very funny, but I fell in the snow. And on my own, I cannot stand up. Now, I, I happened to be at home at the time. I was in my driveway coming in and I fell. Mm-hmm. And we had, uh, I guess, probably close to about a foot and a half of snow. And so I couldn't get up. And I had to get into my house. And so I ended up, do you know, in exercise class when they teach you, I call it butt walking because you, you make yourself move forward or backwards. And I did that to the gate from my car, to the gate at my house. I had to try to undo the gate, push it in, and then go up four steps, open the side door and haul myself in. And all the time that I was doing this, I was killing myself laughing because when you see birds down and especially Canada Jays. Canada Jays are robbers. And so they come down, they land, they take, then they go back up and they come back down and they land and they land right in the snow and they can take off right out of it. If I could have flown, I would have done it, but I couldn't. So I had to walk it. But it was just, it's just like, keep going because you're going to get whatever it is you want to get. And right then I wanted to get warm. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, so I know there's some people with disabilities who, when they hear people talking about birding or just general nature experiences, the limitations or the realities of our bodies make us go, oh, that's not for me. Like, I'm legally blind. I, I'm not the best bird watcher. Uh, so I know for me, it's something that my gut reaction when I talk to my friends who are birders is like, oh, I don't think that's going to be my thing, but thanks for showing up. So what advice would you have for the person who's listening to this podcast right now? Who's like, yeah, I'm really glad this worked out for Leona, but I don't think my body is going to allow me to do this. What I believe is that while birding may not be your thing and Megan, I think it could be your thing. Um, being <laughs> outside is everybody's thing. And I think even if it's only on your balcony or on your back deck, maybe in a park near you, I think that being outside, the mental stimulation it gives you, the mental break it gives you, the physical things that it will give you by breathing some different air and seeing some other things and getting some sun and all of that is well worth the effort. And the fact that your body hurts while you're out there, perhaps, um, you know you're alive, you know you're there, you know you did it, and that you could do it, and that you are capable of it, and right. it's important to do, to know all that stuff. Right, yeah. I think about there's times where, um, like when I was a kid, we would go up to central or, or uh, yeah, central parts of Ontario, uh, further from the city, so you see more stars, right? And, and, I, and I loved that. And partly because... When you're lying on the canvas shield looking up at the Milky Way, like it doesn't matter that I can't see as much as the person next to me because none of us can see the whole galaxy. And to be reminded that there's something that's bigger and beautiful, um, and it's bigger than you, and is still a great, wonderful thing regardless of any limitations you may face experiencing it. It helped me just be like, okay, like none, nobody, nobody is is able to access everything. That's right. But what I am able to access is quite great, and I should be thankful for that. Is there anything before we move on to the last few questions of the show? Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you would want to talk about? Nope, I'm good there. Okay, so Leona, Nizreen, are you ready for this? Okay. Yes, I am. Okay, so we thought that you could maybe help some of our listeners with their birding techniques. So I know that you can't show pictures to the audience, but what we're going to do is we're going to play some clips of bird calls and oh see God. if you can correctly identify the bird. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. You got All right. This. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I mean, your like your your chances are much greater than mine. So, okay, Nizreen, uh, do you want to do the first one? Hmm, I those sound like gulls. What's your guess? They sound like gulls. Nizreen? That could be like okay. How about maybe Canada geese? geese? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Second round. Okay. What do you think? Whoa, I have no idea what that is. What is that? Really? What is it? We're challenging the bird professional. Oh my this gosh, is yes. the mute swan. Oh, we don't have them. <laughs> I picked it because I liked it. Oh, we don't. I picked it because I picked it because I like its name. I was like, "Oh, mute swan." It's a mute swan I wonder yeah. what sound it would make and it makes a very pretty sound. Yeah. I- 
And I also really, it's a different, uh, this isn't the same bird, but as a kid, I really loved the book, The the Trumpet of the Swan by E.B. White. It's a, it's a great book, mm-hmm. but it's about trumpeter swans. Anyways. Okay, number three. Oh, my God. Last but not least. That's a loon. That's a loon. You were right. Yellow-billed loons. <laughs> yeah, she knew. The sound yeah, of summer. Knew. It's the it sound is. of summer. It is. Um, Leona, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, if you could go birding anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Anywhere in the world? Can I have two places? I, okay, I would choose Costa Rica because a friend of mine is from Costa Rica and tells me that I have to go there and bird because there's every kind of bird imaginable there. That's number one. Number two would be New Zealand because there are all kinds of birds that are there. And there is also a very nice fellow who's there that I would like to go and see. Right. And I was going to ask, but you might have just answered my question. If you could go birding with anybody, who would it be? Oh, of course, I would like to go birding with him. But I would dearly love to go out with Margaret Atwood. She's a great birder. Oh, that would be a fine pairing. She is a very good birder. She's done a lot of work on that. That's a good one. So, Leona, um, at the end of every episode, we like to just think about the ways that disability can allow us to experience different parts of the world, which you've clearly done. So right now, what are some of the ways that living with a disability can be isolating for you? I am terrified of falling. Terrified. And it stops me from doing so many things, so many social things, because I've got, I, I don't know if I can negotiate the room. Um, I would love to be able to go someplace first when nobody's there and be able to go around it and see what everything else, but that's not possible. So I don't do it. And so mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of people. I don't socialize a great deal. Mm, okay. And then given that, like, what has meaningful connection looked like for you? What's, a, what's an example of good connection in your life? I, hmm, I think that my family is the, the best I know that they take me as I am, that it doesn't mm-hmm. matter to them because I'm just me to them. And that, that's, that's special. Yeah. Well, Leona, thank you for being on the show. And I know you said that chickadees are your favorite because even though they're small, they're determined and they're fierce and they don't let things get in their way. Um, I think that you have exemplified a lot of the characteristics of a chickadee. Thanks for learning from your bird friends and bringing that to us. Thank you very much, Megan. Connecting Disability is a production of AMI-audio. It's written and produced by me, Megan Gilmore, with technical production and bird quiz mastering by Nizreen Abdel-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Special thanks to our guest, Leona Mattis. And special personal thanks to all my friends in Whitehorse who took me out for uh, some swan gazing when I lived there. I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge the influence of my late grandfather, Lloyd Wilson, in this conversation. Like Leona's dad, um, my grandpa has to have Alzheimer's. But before he did that, he exposed me to a lot of the outdoors in his home in Muskoka. 
and I can't go through a summer without thinking about him. And he's always who I think of whenever I hear a loon call. So, um, Papa, thank you. We miss you. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll connect next time. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.